Amen. Are you ready for the word tonight? Well, let's open our Bibles, if you will, to the book of 2 Kings in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter number 4, 2 Kings chapter 4, to read a story that for many of us we have heard before, or more than once probably, but we're going to look at it again and trust the Lord for some information that will help us and bless us. And I'm going to begin to read with verse number 8. And uh, read down through, I don't know, we'll know when we get there. Uh, but let's pray. Father, we thank you for your holy written word. It is a lamp unto our feet, it's a light unto our pathway. We choose tonight to hide it in our heart that we may not sin against you. We choose to listen to what the Holy Spirit says to us through the word. For we know when we open our Bible, it's you talking to us. So I thank you, Lord, that wherever each person is tonight in this congregation, that you see that place, you know where we are, you know who we are, and so that you will tailor a word for every person that we will hear what we need to hear tonight from the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. 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 I'm going to put on my uh, Walmart glasses and uh, look important. <laughs> And I'm going to begin to read verse 8. I'm reading from the, from the King James. You look at whatever translation you might have. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed, and a table, and a stool, and a candlestick. And it shall be, when he cometh to us, that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken to or spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Verily she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he, call, and he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her according to the time of life. And when the child was grown, so this means he was older, he wasn't like a full-grown man, but he had grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father to the reapers. And he said unto his father, My head, my head. And he said to a lad, 
carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the house or to the man of God and come again. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. Then she saddled an ass and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding from me except I bid thee. So she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass, when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to Gehazi his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her, and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. She's either delusional or she's a great woman of faith. And when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to thrust her away. And the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her, and the Lord hath hid it from me and hath not told me. Then she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, Gird up thy loins and take my staff in thine hand and go thy way. If thou meet any man, salute him not. And if any salute thee, answer him not again. And lay my staff upon the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. In other words, you're going to. And he arose and followed her. And Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff upon the face of the child. But there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awaked. And when Elisha was come into the house, Behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. That's upon Elisha's bed. He went in, therefore, and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him, and the child sneezed seven times. And the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her, and when she was come in unto him, he said, Take up thy son. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. This is an amazing story. It's not a parable. It is a true account 
this actually happened. I don't have answers as to why all the details are as they are. I don't know why Elisha did exactly all the things he did the way he did them. But that's really not the point of reading this tonight. My point in reading this tonight is to bring us to the study we want to look at tonight and we won't finish tonight, but we will continue. And that is we want to talk about making room for the Holy Ghost. We want to talk about making room for the anointing. And when we talk about making room for the anointing, we can't say that without also talking about making room for God's anointed. It's very important. What do I mean making room for the Holy Ghost? I want to give you uh, this answer to that question, what I mean by making room for the Holy Ghost. I'm talking about consciously choosing to put the Holy Spirit in the highest place in our life, both personally and corporately as a church congregation. This means being led by the Spirit, and this means obeying Him in all areas of our life, obeying His specific commands, obeying His guidance, and as a church congregation, it means allowing Him to manifest in our services through His anointing and through His gifts. This means laying aside our plans and our preconceived ideas and yielding to his to uh, take up a thought that John the Baptist said concerning Jesus it's me decreasing and him increasing the Holy Spirit is not an it the Holy Spirit is not a force the Holy Spirit is not a power per se the Holy Spirit is a person and just like any person has a personality, so does the Holy Spirit. He is the third person, if you will, of the Trinity. No less God. He's not one-third God. And Jesus another third. And the Father another third. He is all God. Just as Jesus is all God. Just as the Father is all God. And you don't have to act like you understand that because none of us really grasp it mentally. But we do believe it because it's true. It is true. Aren't you glad? I mean, just think about this. Aren't you glad that God does know more than we know? Wouldn't it be sad to serve a God that you were as smart as Him? That wouldn't be good, would it? So when it comes to the Holy Spirit... Making room for him. And you see why we would read this story more than maybe any other is because literally this woman recognized the anointing. She recognized Elisha as an anointed man of God. So to whatever degree that she could understand it in that Old Testament era, she understood that the Holy Spirit was resting on this man. That he was anointed. That he had the God touch. And his life was a supernatural life. And where he went and what he did and said under that anointing produced supernatural results. 
She understood that, and so she literally made a room that he could come and rest and refresh himself on his journeys. So she was ahead of probably most of her peers. And you will find this, uh, it's sad, but it's really true, that a lot of people in the world have no clue about the Holy Spirit. They live their lives totally unaware that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, they may have heard the, um, the, the words Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, whether they're from a Catholic tradition or a Protestant tradition, they may have heard that. But as far as knowing the Holy Spirit as a person, making room for the Holy Spirit in their lives personally, most people do not. And sadly, a lot of Christians don't understand this concept. It doesn't mean they're bad people. It doesn't mean that they don't, in a sense, love the Lord. But what it means is they just don't know what's available in many cases. But what would be sadder still would be if we knew it and then didn't do it. If we knew that there was a greater depth of the anointing and that there was a place in God where we could go that was supernatural, that would put us into a new plane, a new dimension... If we knew that was there and we just chose not to go there, wouldn't that be sad? Well, I'm here tonight to tell you there is that place. And you don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher. You don't have to be a church staff person. You just need to be a believer that's hungry for God. And it is amazing what God will do if somebody is hungry for him. Jesus taught us that if we hunger and thirst after righteousness, we'd be filled. And either that's true or he is a liar. And I know he was true. And so therefore, this is available to us. It is a major key to a supernatural life. It is the New Testament version of Christianity. Making room for, giving honor to, and giving place to the Holy Spirit is the New Testament version of of Christianity. If we don't do this, if we don't learn to make room for the Holy Spirit, then we will only have what we see so much of today in the modern American church, which is something that I would call Christianity light, L-I-T-E. Kind of the less filling. <laughs> That's kind of a, a pun intended a less filling version of Christianity. A version of Christianity that is almost like a spare tire on your car. You know, you just, you just kind of pull it out when you have to. And you hope you don't need it, you know, the spare tire anyway. And a lot of people kind of live their Christian life like that. They, they hope they don't need to really know how to get a hold of God in a major way. Because they hope they never have a problem that needs that. What they miss is that learning to communicate with God when there is no problem is the best way to learn to pray. Amen. Don't wait until you're drowning to try to learn to swim. You can't teach a drowning man how to swim. And one drowning man can't save another drowning man. And so there are lots of Christians that 
don't even know anyone who is walking in a great level of the supernatural. And so when trouble comes, they're just kind of grasping for straws, grasping for people to help them that are unable to help them. It's not that they don't sympathize with them. It's not that they wouldn't help them if they could. They just can't. You can't wait until you are besieged with life's greatest trouble to try to develop all this spiritual insight and and develop spiritual power. I mean, I'm not saying you don't go for God, and, and I'm not saying God doesn't do miracles in those situations, because of course He does. But by and large, it's so important for all of us to learn to develop this kind of a relationship with God when there's nothing wrong. Hanging out with God when you don't need anything. If the only time you pray is when you need something, then just think, if you're a parent particularly, do you appreciate that with your kids? Are there people who call, and every time they call, the question you ask your spouse when they get off the phone is the first question you ask is, what do they want? We all know those people, don't we? Because they don't call, or maybe they don't even come until they need something. And you can love somebody like that, and help somebody like that. But that's not the kind of relationship you want. You want somebody to want to be in your presence. And at the end of the day, as we say, the cliche, probably you're going to actually do more to bless somebody and help somebody if they will connect with you, not just when they need something. And that's the way we need to develop a relationship with God. Use your faith on small things to build it for the big things. I think it's a good thing. You know, in other words, uh, if, you, if you can't believe God to be able to purchase you know, those uh, three packs of socks, you know what I'm talking about? Got men's socks. A lot of times, I don't know why, but they put them in packs of three. And I buy these socks, you know, that come all the way up to my knees. I look like George Washington here, you know. Uh, well, if you can't buy three pairs of knee socks, then you're probably not ready for a financial miracle of, uh, you know, a $100,000 down payment on a home or something. You have to start where you are. Uh, every time that, that an affliction uh, tries to attack, something knocks on the door and it's not something you'd have to go to the emergency room for. It's not something you'd even have to go to the doctor for. But it's not a, a comfortable thing. It's not a fun thing. It, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's not a good thing. Use your faith before you just take a pill. Use your faith on small things. If you can't get victory over a common headache, you're going to be in trouble if they say cancer. Do you understand what I'm saying by this? This is so important. And, and, and the spiritual life is one that must be developed. We have to develop our spiritual life. And so we don't want Christianity light, L-I-T-E, less filling. We want, we want full. We want full fat, not 2%. We want heavy cream. We, we want the whole thing, amen. Now, biblical Christianity is not a buffet. The Bible is not a smorgasbord from which we choose the parts we like. You know, if I go down uh, uh, one of those 
buffet things. There are going to be certain things I like, and that's what I'll get. There'll be other things I won't get. When Glenda and I go, it's completely different. We get to the table. Her plate is completely different than mine. <coughs> I've got fried chicken. She has chicken liver. <coughs> I can't understand that. But that's how it works. I'll have broccoli salad with onions and raisins and all that kind of stuff. She doesn't want anything to do with broccoli. You know. So, you know, people are different. So when you go to the buffet, that's okay to make your choices. But the Bible is not like that. Christianity isn't like that. If you want to know what the Bible standards for the Christian life is like, look in the book of Acts and the epistles. Look in the book of Acts and the epistles. The epistles are the letters to the churches. They're yours. Those books, like Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> those books, they, thank you, brother. <coughs> excuse me. Sorry about that. Those books belong to you. They're letters to you. Now, some of you have got <clears throat> letters or cards that you've saved. I'm not going to ask you how many of you have love letters from before you got married, but some of you probably do. Those are letters that you don't usually, you know, you don't take a screenshot of them and put them online. They're yours. There's, there's an aspect of personal, <clears throat> a sense of personal possession. Well, you can think of the epistles as the same. Yes, they're written to all believers. But when you open the book of Romans, when you open the book of Galatians, when you open the book of Ephesians, when you open the book of James, you are reading a letter that God wrote to you. And for all intents and purposes, it's yours if you were the only person on the planet. And you know, when you read it in your own personal devotional time, it is just you, isn't it? And it's God talking to you. So the book of Acts and those epistles are, by today's standards, the, uh, they are the standard for Christian living. But by today's standards, you know they're radical? They really are radical. They're radical in their methodology. They're radical in the lifestyle that they portray. And they are also very radical in the power and blessing they produce. We should be so blessed walking in the power and the blessing of God until people actually wonder if we are legal. They should really wonder, what are they doing? How did they get there? You know, if you ever see a turtle on top of a fence post, one thing you can be sure of, it did not get there by itself. There's no way. That's the way people ought to look at us. They ought to be, if they know us, they ought to think, I know them. And I know there's no way they could be that blessed because of their, uh, of their smarts or anything else. 
In other words, it puts us in a place where we can consistently glorify God. Now, developing a relationship with the Holy Spirit is key to that kind of living. To find and to know the will of God. To know the next step to take in your career path. To know the next step to take in a relationship. To know the next uh, thing that needs to be done or perhaps something that needs to be stopped where your health is concerned. To know all those kinds of answers, all of that is with the Holy Spirit. He knows all that. He's not uh, finding it out as you go along. He already knows. And so we, we need to live this kind of a lifestyle where we have developed a relationship with the Holy Spirit. For the most part, the people of the early church, the first century church particularly, lived a different lifestyle than most Christians are living today. And I don't mean just in the sense that they didn't have the conveniences that we have. Obviously, they didn't have electricity in their houses. They didn't have cell phones. You know, I, I, we know that. But I'm not talking about that necessarily, about conveniences and gadgets. But I'm talking about their level of consecration to and their dependence on God. Their level of consecration to God and their level of dependence on God. And if we lack a dependency on God, if we lack uh, consecration to God, then it's going to result in powerlessness in our lives. It's going to result in us not being able to do the things the Bible says we can do. And it's not God's fault. It would be ours. It's going to result in frustration. And, and I can tell you there's, there is a degree of frustration in the modern church because so many people, if they read their Bible, they know that the church in many quarters is falling far short of what the Bible says belongs to us far short of what we should have and what we should be able to do. And I'm not saying these things to put a load of guilt on anybody. I'm just saying it doesn't have to be that way. But the key, if you will, well, I mean, it's not the only key. I should be careful how I say that. One of the major keys, or it's an indispensable key, to walking in a degree of supernatural that God wants us to walk in is to have the right relationship with the Holy Spirit, Amen. is to uh, develop that relationship. You know, uh, uh, no, you wouldn't know this because you weren't there, but, ah, uh, uh, my goodness, 51 years ago, Glenn and I met. 51 years ago this March, we met. Well, we've known each other for 51 years, and almost 48 of that we've been married so we know each other far better today than we did in 1972. Far better. But the reason is because of the time we've spent together. The communication, the learning, the growing, the process. So what I'm talking to you about is not going to happen overnight. And it's not going to happen without an investment of time. Now, for the last 51 years, if we'd spent every day of, you know, of our lives, if we'd spent every free moment we had talking to somebody else, watching the television, staring at a screen or whatever, if that's the way life was, then we wouldn't know each other so well. 
Because you do know, don't you, that you can be close to someone in a geographical proximity but still not know them. You have people like that probably in your neighborhood. You've got neighbors, close neighbors. You've never even been in their house. You don't know how many children they have. You don't even maybe know what they do for a living. Now, some of you, that might not be the case. But for many people today, that is the way it is. So it's not about just how many feet you are from somebody, but it's the interaction. So you see, the Holy Spirit came into your life when you were born again. He's there. But how well do you know him? How much attention do you give him? How much time do you spend in his presence? Do you communicate properly through him and with him? That's one of the reasons being baptized in the Spirit and speaking in tongues, praying in tongues, worshiping in tongues is so important. Because it's one of the key ways that we will develop our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Tongues is the language of the Holy Ghost. Speaking in tongues is the language of the Holy Spirit. You will find if you're spirit baptized that you can speak in tongues at will. Why would God make this one spiritual manifestation so universally available? I can't prophesy at will. I can't manifest gifts of healings at will. I can't produce a word of wisdom at will. I can't produce a word of knowledge at will. I can't see into the realm of spirits or the gift of discerning of spirits at will. But of all the nine manifestations of the Holy Spirit that are supernatural, that are mentioned in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's the speaking with tongues that he gives the believer the ability and the right and the freedom and the liberty and the privilege of exercising at will. Now, I'm not talking about giving a message in a church service like we had happen here Sunday with interpretation. That's as the Spirit wills. That's a public manifestation. But privately, any believer that's baptized in the Spirit can pray in other tongues because you received that language when you were filled to overflowing. The overflow of the Holy Spirit came out in tongues. You were filled up to the point where when the Holy Spirit came forth, your inner being uh, was so full that it ran over. It ran over in a language of heaven. It ran over in a language of the Spirit. And that's one of the most powerful ways that you're going to be able to develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit is this communication aspect. Just like a relationship with an individual person, you build your relationship primarily through time spent in communication. The same is true with the Holy Spirit. Time spent in communication. Now the problem for us is that when we speak in tongues, we don't know what we're saying. Unless there would be a supernatural interpretation, we don't know what we're saying. So that creates this tension between your heart and your head. That tension between what your heart freely wants to do and enjoys and what your head is left out of, and your head doesn't like to be left out of anything. Right? I mean, we don't like secrets unless we're the one that has the secret. Uh, you know, how many times have we asked somebody, 
you know, we just got in on the tail end of a conversation or we just heard a few words. And then you ask, who was that? What were you talking about? You know, sometimes Glenn will be looking at her phone and I'll say, uh, what are you looking at? I'm not interrogating her. I just want to know. <clears throat> you know, inquiring minds want to know. You know. And, and so, you know, that's just the way the mind is. Well, when you're speaking in tongues, your heart is speaking. You're bypassing your head. And trust me, that's a good thing for all of us. That is a good thing. And so our head's being bypassed, but it doesn't like that. And that's why you will have to work at developing a habit of praying in the Spirit. It's not just going to happen automatically. Now, you may get caught up in a meeting where it's very easy to speak in tongues and worship. There, you know, that's the goal of, of our services. Our, our, our worship time and our praise time is for everybody that's here to get into the presence of God. That's one of the main goals. Of course, our first goal is to honor and magnify God with our praises. But one of the other issues is to bring people to the place where they can communicate with God easily, where it, it just there's a flow. Well, when you're home and it's 7 in the morning and it's cloudy and dreary and you really wish you could go back to bed and all the other stuff that might happen at 7 a.m. for you, sometimes you don't feel like praying in tongues. Or am I the only person like that? If I am, please pray for me. Stretch your hands this way. But you understand what I'm saying. You have to work at it. It's a discipline. But it's a discipline that will bring you into a place of supernatural living. A lack of consecration to God and dependence upon God always occurs when people don't have a right or proper relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's why the early church, as I say, was so powerful. They didn't have all the alternatives we have. Places that are less developed in our world today, the people don't have all the choices we have. They don't have all the plan B and plan C options. They can't line up a a list of things that they could do. If this doesn't work, I'll go to this. If that doesn't work, I've got something else. They don't have all the backup plans. There are literally people still in this world, they either trust God or they die. They depend on God or they don't make it. Now, we like our modern conveniences, and I'm not saying we should throw them all away, but I am saying that there is something to be said about trusting God first. I'm not saying don't take medication. I'm not saying don't go to the doctor. I'm not saying don't receive the therapy or the treatment that they want to give you. But I'm saying at least give God the first opportunity. At least ask God uh, to <clears throat> show you what it is in life that you put a pharmacy into your body, whether you rub it on you, pour it on you, stick it up your nose or put it in your mouth or whatever. Don't ever do that without using your faith. Amen. I mean, it's just, it's just, uh, it's just smart. And we have that option, praise the Lord. So one of the reasons that miracles and healings are more, much more common in less developed parts of the world is because they don't have 
conveniences that we have. And the problem with conveniences is, for the most part, they create less dependence on God and His Word. So we have to be careful. But I would submit to you, just as, just as some advice as from a pastor, that if you will spend that time we're talking about praying in the Spirit, ministering to the Lord, if you'll spend time praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in other tongues, spend time in His Word every day, that you will find that the Lord will begin to speak to you and lead you in issues, and you will begin to know some things you need to do, some things you don't need to do. Uh, you will get what I call Holy Ghost ideas, and they're good ones. So it's time in the church world of today, in 2023, it is time for change. And I say that as a servant of the Lord. I say that because I believe the Lord wants me to say it and declare it. I know this is not a huge congregation here tonight, even if you add in all those who will see this online. I know that's not a large, large number of people, but I do know there's power in words when they're spoken in faith and when they're spoken under the anointing. And so I'm speaking under the anointing and I'm speaking in faith and I'm telling you it's time for change in the church. The season, is cha- the season has changed. It is changing. The season has changed. I would say more has changed than anything else. And with that, our way of living the Christian life has got to change as well. We are slowly but surely being put in a position in our world today where it's going to be we must believe God. We must trust God. And so we need to go ahead and get with the program. We need to go ahead and get started. We need to go ahead and trust the Lord. And I I cannot emphasize this enough. I can't say it enough. One of the greatest keys to this is developing a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Let's go to John 7, and this is where we will close. I'm, I'm sorry I said John 7. I mean John 16. John chapter 16, and this is where we're close tonight, but we will we'll continue on in our next session that I'm teaching on Wednesday. I won't be doing next Wednesday because Brother Danny will be with us, <coughs> but um, after that we'll pick up. Let's see where we want to start. Verse number 7, and um, I'm also going to find this in the Amplified Bible, because I want to read from both. And don't get nervous, because I've got all these books open and all this stuff, and putting on my scholarly glasses again. I'm not going to hold you here all night, I promise. Luke 16, verse 7, Jesus is speaking, of course. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Um, Nobody ever knew of Jesus to tell a lie. So for him to say, I'm telling you the truth, he's, he's emphasizing. In other words, this is really important. I want you to hear this. He says, it is expedient. And that word means profitable. Good. It is expedient for you. It is good for you. It is profitable for you. We could also say, it is better for you. He said that I go away. Man, Can you imagine hearing those words? Can you imagine being a disciple of Jesus? 
all the things they had seen. I mean, when you get to John 16, you're coming down toward the end of the journey. They had been with Jesus now for several years. They had seen many miracles. They'd seen all these marvelous things. And now Jesus is talking to them, and he makes for what had to be for these folks a very strange statement, probably a disturbing statement to them. He said, it's, it's better that I'd go away. You'll be better off without me around. Man, I mean, you can just imagine what that would have done to their mind and their, their heart. So he says, and then he, but he tells them why. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now, the word comforter in verse 7 John 16, 7, is rendered, uh, and I'll read from the Amplified, the sevenfold meaning of the word. The word comforter is the word that the King James translators chose to use. The Greek word is paraclete, P-A-R-A-K-L-E-T-E, paraclete. And that word has sevenfold meaning. It does mean comforter, but let me just read the, the verse from the Amplified Classic and, and you'll see what I'm talking about. However, I am telling you nothing but the truth when I say it is profitable, good, expedient, advantageous for you that I go away. Because if I do not go away, the comforter, counselor, helper, Advocate, intercessor, strengthener, standby will not come to you into close fellowship with you. But if I go away, I will send him to you to be in close fellowship with you. And when he comes, he will convict and convince the world and bring demonstration to it about sin and about righteousness, uprightness of heart, and right standing with God, and about judgment, about sin, because they do not believe on me, trust in, rely on, and adhere to me, about righteousness, uprightness of heart, and right standing with God, because I go to my Father and you will see me no longer, about judgment, because the ruler, prince of this world, Satan, is judged and condemned and sentenced already is passed upon him. And then Jesus makes this statement. And this would have also been a statement hard to take. He said, I have still many things to say to you, but you are not able to bear them, nor to take them upon you, nor to grasp them now. Can you imagine Jesus Christ saying to you, there's a lot of things I want to tell you but you're not ready to get it. And of course the implication is, so I'm not going to tell you right now. I mean, you can just imagine saying, oh, come on, Jesus. Come on, try me. Try me. I, I want to know, what, 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 what is it you know that I need to know, but you know, I, I, I'd like to try. Well, he tells them how it's going to happen. Verse 13, but when he, the spirit of truth, the truth-giving spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. The whole, full truth. For he will not speak his own message on his own authority, but he will tell whatever he hears 
from the Father. He will give the message that has been given to him, and he will announce and declare to you the things that are to come that will happen in the future. See, all the things we want to know, the Holy Spirit's job is to tell us. He goes on to say, He will honor and glorify me because He will take of, receive, draw upon what is mine and will reveal, declare, disclose, transmit it to you. I like that. He will reveal, declare, disclose, transmit it to you. Everything that the Father has is mine. That is what I meant when I said that He will take the things that are mine and will reveal, declare, disclose, transmit them to you. So I don't think that we could honestly read these kinds of verses and not see how essential it is that we develop our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Can you see why that it is a grave mistake to reject the fullness of the Spirit. It is a, a terrible mistake to neglect the Holy Spirit. Even if we have received His fullness, to neglect the Holy Spirit is such a mistake. We need His ministry, and we have His ministry available to us. If we don't enjoy it, it's because we are not tapping into it. But I have decided I'm tapping into it. This season for me is going to take me deeper. Not because somebody somewhere spoke a special word over me and it's just going to happen. But it's because I've decided it's going to be. And that's a decision God will gladly honor. And he'll honor it for you just like he will for me. And I can tell you life will be better the closer you walk with God and the more in the Spirit that you walk. So, Father, take these words. Use them for your glory. I've done my best to deliver what I believe you've given to me. And I believe that you'll do the rest. As we hear, it will find lodging place and you'll grant to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. The eyes of our understanding will be enlightened. And I thank you for that and praise you for it. And I believe, Lord, that in the coming days that these words, at least some of them, they'll come back to people who are hearing this. And they'll be reminded. And as we dig deeper, as we spend a little more time, as we focus more clearly on developing this relationship with the Holy Spirit, I thank you that you will honor that and we'll see great results in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.